Father, we thank you for the songs that have been sung, the prayers that have been prayed, an opportunity for us to worship you in giving. And now as we look into your word, we ask that you will touch our hearts and that your word will fall upon our hearts and fall upon a good soil and that it will grow thereby and that it will become a mighty oak in our lives. We thank you. We just want to acknowledge you in all our ways that you will be glorified. We thank you and we honor you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We are now into our third episode of our series called Dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. Old stories same problems old stories the same problems my opening statement for us today is this Isaac repeats the same sin as his father however God can change our trajectory we are not bound by the sins of our fathers and mothers let me hit y'all with that one more time. Isaac repeats the same sin as his father. However, God can change our trajectory. We are not bound by the sins of our fathers and mothers. As I said, we are on to our third episode of our series, Dysfunctional. In our first episode, we talked about in spite of me. Our second episode last week, we talked about bless this mess. And now this week, as we look at the transition between father and son, our subtitle for this episode is Legacy Change. Legacy Change. Our definitions for this week are as follows. Dysfunction. Dysfunction is abnormal or unhealthy interpersonal behavior or interaction with a group. Promise, in general, a declaration written or verbal made by one person to another, which binds the person who makes it to do or to do it. Legacy, something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. Legacy is something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. So there's different ways that legacy can come your way. we are going to go to a familiar set of scriptures for this congregation. We spent a little bit of time here, uh, and I couldn't figure out how to break it down, so bear with me. I'm going to go ahead and go through the majority of this, this chapter. That is in... Uh, 
Genesis, the 26th chapter, and starting at the first verse. We're doing the New Living Translation. Give me one second, because now I need to flip something really quickly. I'm not flipping. Okay. Genesis 21, 6 says this. A severe famine now struck the land as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech and the Philistines lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants as I solemnly promised Abraham your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands, and through your descendants shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the man who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, she is my sister. He was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought that they will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Immediately, Abimelech called for Isaac and exclaimed, she is obviously your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Because I was afraid you would kill me. Kill me to get her from me, Isaac replied. How could you do this to us, Abimelech explained. One of my people could easily have taken your wife and slept with her, and you would have placed, uh, made us guilty of a great sin. Then Abimelech issued a public proclamation. Anyone who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. When Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. Finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away to Gerar Valley, where he set up their tents and settled down. He opened up, reopened the wells his father had dug. While the Philistines had filled in, at, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death, Isaac also restored the name Abraham had given to them. Excuse me. Isaac's servants also dug in the Gerar Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But then the shepherds from Gerar came and claimed the spring. This is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Essek, which means argument. Isaac's man then dug another well, but again there was a dispute over it, so Isaac called it Sista, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it, so Isaac named the place Rehoboth, open space, for he said at least the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. From there, Isaac moved to Beersheba, 
Where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival, I'm the God of your father Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid, for I'm with you and will bless you. I will multiply your descendants, and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. He set up his camp at that place, and his servants dug another well. One day, King Abimelech comes from Gerar with his advisor, Azura, and also Phico, his, company, his army commander. Why have you come here, Isaac asked. You obviously hate me since you kicked me off your land. They replied, we can plainly see that the Lord is with you. So we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. Let's make a covenant. Swear that you will not harm us, just as we have never troubled you. We will always treat you well. And we sent you away from us in peace. Look how the Lord has blessed you. So Isaac prepared a covenant feast to celebrate the treaty, and they ate and drank together. Father, bless the reading of your word. We ask that it will fall upon the good soil of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I have to give a little background to help you understand this. We, we remember when Abraham, Abram went to Egypt and he said that Sarai was his wife, I mean, was his sister and not his wife. And that, so you're saying, well, okay, that happened before Isaac was born. Right. But if you go over to Genesis, the 20th chapter, you'll see that joker did it again. And guess who he did it with? He did it with King Abimelech. Abraham did the same thing with King Abimelech. So Isaac leaves, hears that uh, a, uh, what you call it is coming? A uh, famine is coming. So what does he do? He does what his dad does. He started heading to Egypt. He said, Daddy went to Egypt. I'm going to Egypt. But on his way to Egypt, God says, stop right here in Gerar. And he says, go where I tell you. He tells him to go to Gerar. He gets there. And remember, we stayed for a while. So Isaac did what he was told. He goes to Gerar. So God is adjusting his trajectory. He's changing the legacy of the Abraham family. Because traditionally, their tradition was to go to Egypt in times of trouble. But God says, I'm taking our covenant to another level, so we're going to go to a different location. I'm going to take you to where the famine is and show everybody how you can be blessed in the midst of the famine. And so he's putting this together and he's causing Isaac to do this. And he tells Isaac, I got you. I got a promise with your daddy, and because I got this promise with your daddy, I got a promise with you. And so, but I got to guide you a little bit so you don't fall into all the traps that your daddy fell into. Right. But still, even in the midst of that, Isaac still did like his daddy. Rebecca, we don't want nobody to kill me, right? So we're going to say that you're my sister. Because you one fine-looking young lady. 
And how we know that she was a nice looking lady, because as soon as they got in town, all the men started asking about her. Who is that? That's my sister. Oh, okay. So then they started treating her very well. And, and, but then the king happened to be looking out, and he said, you know, he ain't touching her like no sister. And he calls him on, because the king remembered what his daddy did. And so the king says, you need to come in here and let's have a conversation. And the conversation becomes, I did the same thing that my father did. There's a lot of us, a lot of us that are carrying the weight of our ancestors and their misgivings. They're, we're carrying the pain, the, the hurt, the, the misunderstanding of our ancestors with us. We've seen how our ancestors did things. We see how, and so it then becomes our family legacy. It be, then becomes the way our family does business. It becomes how we are known. It becomes our family name. It becomes our family process. It becomes who we are. And we are stuck in that situation until we have a divine intervention which causes us to change our direction. It's hard to go against your family tradition and it's hard to go against all that you know without something outside of your environment coming in and providing you with direction to a better way. You've heard folks say things such as, my daddy did this, my granddaddy did this, my great-granddaddy did this. They'll, they'll go back five or six generations, so that's what I'm going to do. But every once in a while, God kind of puts a little something in the way and causes some adjustments to be made. As you, we can tell, like looking at Isaac, he made an adjustment, but he didn't make him totally change because if he would have totally changed him, then he wouldn't have said Rebecca was his sister. Right. There's still some adjustments that needed to be made, and he was slowly making the adjustments that were necessary for him to appropriate what God had for him. But it also brings out that when we focus on God, God provides us direction. When we focus our, on ourselves, we provide mess. Amen. We make it so messy for ourselves when we look at, well, they might kill me. Well, they might not. Well, I'm feeling that they're going to kill me. Okay, so then you say you're my sister, and then that caused more complications because all these men was looking at your wife. But you so worried about yourself, you're going to throw your wife out there and allow something adverse to happen to her. But God had to intervene and say, oh, wait a minute. Hey, King, why don't you come look out this window? Look at what's going on right there. Yeah, we need to change that. He acting just like his daddy. How many of us have heard that? You're just like your father. You're just like your father. We, we have heard situations where 
uh, young men have been abused because the father left the mother and the son resembles the father so much that she takes out some of her anger toward the father on the son and then that precipitates into having a son that is abusive toward women because of how that went down the line. And then we wonder why we have so much craziness going on is because we don't look at the patterns that we're establishing in our family, which then establishes our legacy. For instance, I'm being a little transparent. For instance, my, my dad did not drive. And when I was growing up, I said, my wife will never have to drive when I'm in the car. Now, you need to be quiet right now. Now, one of the issues that I have is sometimes when I'm driving, I get too comfortable. And when I get comfortable, I start relaxing. When I start relaxing, then I start sleeping. And when you're sleeping and driving, that's not a good mix. Now, I got my wife, I got my son, I got my daughter in the car. No, 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 I'm sorry. Let me take this back. We had just bought our first car that we had bought. Our first car that we had bought. We were blessed with the car when we first got married. We had just bought a car. Got a, had a five-speed Toyota SR5. Great. That joker could do a little something, something. And we were going home. It took us 18 hours to get home from Louisiana. And at that time, I drove like one of my uncles that I just see how far the speedometer, the speedometer is more around the three o'clock range most of the time. Uh, you know, the three on the dial, that's kind of how I drove. And so we were driving that night and we were driving, Yolanda dozed off, I'm driving. The next thing I know, something says, I know the Lord says, wake up. I open my eyes. I'm getting ready to hit a car. I bump the car, come off the car, pull over on the side of the road. Found out that we had been going like 90 miles an hour down this road. It's a straight line road. And this older couple saw us flying down the road. And he's driving beside us to try to make me wake up. And uh, he said, I ain't never drove that fast in my life. But he was trying to keep us from going off the road. So we pulled off on the side of the road. The man said, he said, he was an old soldier also. I was a new soldier at that time. But one of the things that, that stood out, of, now this is, that, this is how it was. This is how fixed it was in my mind. I said, okay, thank you, sir. Thank you. We had put a little dent in his car. He said, oh, don't worry about it. You just get on home and see your family. Be careful. Guess what I did? I jumped in the passenger seat. I told Yolanda to drive the rest of the way home. That is a bold place lie. I said, all right, y'all get on in this car. We finna get on home. Yolanda's like, you sure you gonna make it? I said, we gonna make it. And we did. But it, did, it took me, I still ain't over it, y'all. So it's very hard for me to drive ride in the car and let my wife drive. My wife is a, is a way better driver than me. My wife it follows the rules. She, she, you know, she does all the things. She, I am, 
I say they taught y'all how to be defensive drivers so I can drive offensively, <laughs> so I can get to where I'm going to get to. My point in this is, I look and my son doesn't drive as much. He allows, he, he allow, I shouldn't say allow, his wife drives when he's in the car now. And I looked at that, and at first I was like, I need to talk to that boy. And the Lord said, you need to shut your mouth. He said, you, that's not your house. You don't run your house. You run your house, and he going to run his house. And I was just like, but he doing it wrong. But see, that's how you start making traditions and you start doing things and you don't look at how the effects of those things. I've never asked him. I said, uh, you know, do you want your wife to drive because of how I was driving? I never asked him that because I didn't want to hear the truth. But <laughs> the thing is, we can establish patterns not by what we say, but what we do. And that is more important to what affects our legacy than anything else. How we conduct ourselves. When you are going through financial struggles, when you are having tension in the house, how do you deal with it in front of your family, your children, affects how they're going to deal with struggles and uh, issues when they come, when they uh, grow up. I remember our kids told us one day, they said, y'all don't never argue, we were to laugh so bad. We wanted to laugh so bad. They're like, we never seen y'all argue. We never heard y'all argue. And, that, and, that, and so Yolanda's like, but that didn't mean we wasn't arguing. It's just that we were civil in how we conducted. And so it becomes this environment that you create. What you do when you think your family's not looking sometimes has more effect than any other time when you're trying to show off and, and say, hey, look, 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 this is how we do. So as we look at Isaac and we look at what's going on in his life, he is a son. Think about this. He is the son of the promise of the covenant. He's already in a wonderful, great position. And I'm quite sure that Abraham told him that. As we've seen in our video, we saw that Isaac also was a young man who knew that God's hand was upon him because his dad had him on the altar. Now, let me help you understand this. It's believed that Isaac was like 13 to 15 years old. So that makes his dad about 110, 115 years old. And this old man going to put you on the... You, you, you see how obedient he was to his father? And he listened to his father, and he got up there, he tied him up, put him up there, get ready to, to stab him, and God says, hold your hand, I have. So he's experienced that. He knows that there's something special about him because of the relationship he has with his father. And I want to just kind of throw this little side note into that. There's something special to your next generation because of the relationship you have with God. And you sometimes have to emphasize to them that you're special, that you have been called because God has called me. And because you are my seed, then guess what? There's a calling on your life. It doesn't necessarily mean, because sometimes we, we mess it up and we say that because I'm called to pastor, then you called to pastor. That ain't, that ain't, no, no, that ain't, listen, 
We jump, we messing up folks when we do that kind of stuff. Right. But we have to say because God has designated something special about me, that means there's something special designated about you. Let me tell you something. God has designated all of us so special that he knows how many hairs that you got on your head. You can't even count that high. And God knows it. And so we have to realize that there is this process. There is this process that we have to sometimes intervene into to let our children know that because of my ignorance, this is what I did, but I want to inform you so that you don't go down the same road. There are generations of people that have kept things under, under wraps and they didn't let folks know that actually your aunt is actually your sister because of this situation and this situation. And we don't expose the, the misgivings of the family and then it causes complications on down the road. I, my mother had, my mother had me before she was married. I had my son, oh, I didn't have him. Yolanda had my son before we were married. And so I sat down with my son and I explained to him. I said, this is a tradition in our family that I do not want you to participate in. I said, I want you to keep yourself. I said, I don't want you to have no children. I said, uh, I don't want you to have any children until after you're married. And he said, yes, sir. And I said, now let's ask, in order for you not to even get close to that, just don't have sex till you got married. Now, that yes, sir, came out a little bit slower. <laughs> but my, he, 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 did, he, did, he did pretty good. Anyway, my point was, I, I focused so much on my son that I did not think to... To all, all, I thought my daughter was also listening, but I didn't emphasize it like I did with my daughter. So then she ended up having uh, her first child without uh, being married. But the, the, the thing to me was this. I have to keep diligently talking and speaking into my family to, so that they have an understanding. So if they make the decision to participate in sex before marriage, that they know that we have a high fertilization rate at that time period. And so if you don't want it to happen, then you should not participate. But if you don't know, then you fall into the trap and then the enemy comes in and then tries to condemn you for doing this when it's been your family. You're the only one that did this. This has been generations in your family doing that. And if you know this, then you can come up with a way or a plan to try to prevent it to the best of your ability. And so we have to understand this, that we don't just pray, Lord, put my kids in a different direction. We got to provide instruction so that they don't, when they come to that fork in the road and have to make that decision, guess what? They can make it with information. They can make it a cognizant Decision. That means a decision of their mind because they know that this has happened before in this family and they know the direction that they can go. One of the biggest things that we, we realize is that 
I'm trying to look at my notes. Well, uh, that children of, fa- of, of parents that are involved in alcoholism have a nine, well, no, hold on, hold on. Have a higher, a four times higher rate of becoming alco- uh, alcoholics or, ha- or, have it, or developing problems with alcohol- alcoholisms. And it says sons of alcoholic fathers face up to nine times the risk of becoming an alcoholic. Now, as the, think about this. If both the parents are alcoholics, there's only a 4% chance. But if it's the father, it, it goes five times higher and becomes nine times the probability that that child is going to become or have some issues with alcohol. So there's this high issue, there's this high proclivity, and I know they say there may be an alcohol gene, you know, that you have affinity toward alcohol, and I can, I can believe that, but you also have a mind that you can make a decision to not do it. And I'm not talking about from what I've read. I'm talking about how I live. When I, when I got married, I used to keep alcohol in our refrigerator, and one day I realized that I was becoming what I didn't want to be. And I stopped back in 1986, and I said, I will not drink any more alcohol. Now, I slipped a couple of times, and, and, but I still stayed along that path. And now it's to the point where I just like, I can smell it, I can tell you what it is, but I don't have that draw towards it anymore. Because it takes time in order for you to change your legacy. It takes time for you to change how you example life to those around you. So let me hit this last point, then we're going to call it a day. Your dysfunction in your family can also lead to your ministry to others. When you have certain dysfunctions in your family, it can cause you to say, I don't want anyone else to go through what I've gone through. So then you become an advocate for that which has caused problems for you. There are a lot of young men today that have grown up in fatherless homes that are now advocates for big brother, big sister type of things, being a mentor to other young men because they see, I'm blessed, I made it, but I don't want another generation to go through this the way I had to go through, that I had to learn the hard way, that I had to do all these things, and now I'm going back, and because I know what it's like, I'm able to speak into other people's lives. So our whole mindset under this is Isaac was doing the same thing that his father did. He was acting the same way, but God changed his trajectory so that he could reap the benefits of it. And as he reaped the benefits of it, it seemed like as God was revealing himself to him in the benefits and the blessings of obedience to him, that God caused him to expand 
and to expand even more. And then even his enemy, the person that kicked him out, then came back to him and said, I can tell God's on your side. I want to make sure you don't come back and do nothing to me. Can we make a covenant? I kicked you out, but now, now I'm scared of you. So can, can we just be cool? Can we be all right? And so we want to operate and move along that same type of path whereby we are going forward with the mindset of, I am changing how my ancestors did business, and I'm also touching how my generations in front of me are going to do businesses. When I, business, when I am gone and, 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 and in my grave and, and no longer around, that they will two or three or four generations before uh, down the road will say, because of great-grandpappy, because of great-grandmama, I am now able to be in this position. So we have to prepare ourselves, and we prepare ourselves by listening to the voice of God, spending time with God, acknowledging God in all our ways so that he can direct our paths so that we can do and be successful and what he has for us to do and for us to be. So I want to tell you today that what happened in your past does not have to be your present. Amen. Amen. What you learn from your past does not have to be your future. Amen. What happened to your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, and all them folks does not have to be your way to go. You can be the change agent of your family. You can change the legacy of your name and make it a name that is focusing others on how to serve the God of the universe. Yes. Yes. You can do it. You can do it because you have heard this word today. And you know there's some things that you need to make adjustments on and in. And I'm telling you, you can do it. You can do it. Now, the significant thing about this is, in order for you to start making these changes, you've got to hear God's voice. In order to hear God's voice, you need to have a relationship with God. In order to have a relationship with God, you need to accept the gift that he has provided for you. And that gift is his son, Jesus. Jesus came and died for you so that you can have access to the Father. He has paid for the debt that you have created because of sin in your life. And because of that, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It says, for it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. God changes us from the inside out. He changes our heart so that it affects our body. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And because of this, all you have to do is make that declaration that you want a relationship with God by accepting Jesus Christ in your life. And when you do that, you come into relationship with him and he will change your life. 
Now, we want to support you in that decision because this is not an individual sport. This is a team event. And if you have made that decision today, we want you to let us know by contacting us at info at godshousecc.com. That's info at godshousecc.com. And we will come alongside you and assist you, whether you're here in the Simpsonville, South Carolina area or anywhere else in the world, we will come alongside you and assist you in appropriating what it is to live in God's kingdom. Let us know so that we may be a help to you. Well, friends and family, that's it for episode number three, Legacy Change. I want you to get in your mind the things that and watch the things that you say and do that affects your future generation so that you can change their direction, that they will not do the same or make the same mistakes that you made when you were their age, but that you can help them to go upon a path that glorifies God and provides them with safety and security. With that being said, until next week, God's blessings be upon you in Jesus' name.